0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away.
1: Brad McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you lift weights, you're going to love this episode. And even if you don't lift weights, you're going to get something out of it. So a few months ago, I had powerlifter Chris Duffin on the podcast to discuss his inspiring story of overcoming childhood poverty and becoming one of the strongest men on earth, as well as a successful family and businessman. We also get into the philosophy of strength, why men should be strong. And we get into a few strength training pointers as well. Um, if you haven't checked that episode out, it's episode number 114. I've brought Chris back onto the podcast to talk about his recently released Kabuki movement systems. For the past few years, Chris has been working with some of the best in the field when it comes to body mechanics and how it applies to weight training. And through a series of easy to remember cues, Chris has developed a way so you can be sure that your body's properly positioned so you can deadlift, squat, bench, press more while simultaneously reducing your chance of injury. Even if you don't weight train, you're gonna find some information Chris has in this podcast about breathing and mobility work to be really useful. So this podcast is jam-packed with actionable items you can start using in the gym today. So be sure to check out the show notes for links to resources and studies Chris and I mentioned in the podcast. Uh, you can find them at aom.is slash Duffin, D-U-F-F-I-N. Chris Duffin, welcome back to the show.
2: Glad to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. So, yeah, last time we were here, we talked about, about uh, your life and uh, lifting in general and strength training. Um, but today, I want to have you back on the show to discuss uh, a new project and a new phase in your strength training. I don't want to say career, but just, yeah, we'll say, we'll say career. Um, for the past year or so, you've been putting out a lot of content and a lot of focus about body movement and body mechanics and how it applies to lifting and i mean you you get like really specific with this stuff right like how the hip where the hip is how you should place your knees uh, how you breathe etc i'm curious why did you start looking at lifting in this very meticulous way because i think most people they just approach lifting okay there's how you do a squat i get under the bar and i squat that's it
2: yeah, I mean it's it's just kind of my nature in general. So you look at anything I've done like you know, I started building the, you know, some my own set of axles and I designed them from scratch and I built central tire inflation and you know, all sorts of, you know, the the steering design, everything. I just really get into all the technical aspects but also understanding the whole functionality and how it fits together. And a number of years ago, um I'd always been very technical with how my lifts looked but i started to get some injuries and they weren't related injuries but it was it was just over this couple year period i had this string of injuries and i'm like there has to be something to this and everybody that i talked to was like oh no you just got to treat this one thing and let's let's move on to the next and so i started you know reaching out to a lot of different people until i finally found you know a methodology that that connected with me and started having an impact. And this was with uh, some developmental kinesiology um, uh, out of uh, what's called the Prague School of Medicine. So it's uh, really big in the, the rehab and sports world. And uh, so just over time, you know, maybe from my, my business background and, you know, stuff, I, I, I'm not sure how. But I ended up basically connecting with, with some of the best people in the world Teaching it in the U.S., the instructors from Prague, um, you know, being able to call people like uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, a friend from that from from the, uh, the spine mechanics side. Um, I've, be, I've been able to develop this relationship where I've got all these resources that are basically the people writing the books, doing the research on how this stuff works. But the problem is nobody is applying it to pure strength sports. How are we doing this, you know, like in the world we live in, we go into the gym and we lift heavy weights or, you know, we, you know, you're out in the field picking up a wheelbarrow or, you know, like, you know, big manly stuff, you know, we pick up heavy things. That's what we do. Right. And, uh, and, you know, it's it's a lot of it was all these remedial patterns that they're dealing with for, you know, somebody coming back from an injury or an elderly population, that sort of stuff. But with the relationships I was able to develop, I was able to have basically open conversation back and forth in being able to figure this out. And so just, you know, how my brain works and stuff, I, I could grasp the, the, the core principles of what's going on. And then I actually take that to what we're doing in basic loaded movement patterns and figure out the cueing strategy, what we should be happening to make the body function the way it should. So like I said earlier, my lifts looked technically perfect, but my body wasn't doing what it needed to be doing.
1: Right. So okay. So okay.
2: So, so it became a, a focus on, because you can make things fall, you know, like people are squatting that you always hear knees out, knees out. Well... <laughs> Knees out happen if the right thing is happening. So if you're doing the right thing with the core and the right thing with your feet, your, your, your legs and knees, everything's going to be in the right position. Everything's going to be firing correctly. You're going to be optimizing your power transfer. You're going to be reducing risk for injury. But if you just put your knees out, you don't get all those benefits you don't have the muscle engaged you haven't reduced the risk for injury uh you haven't done those things so it's it's just kind of a a shift in focus from making the body function the way it's supposed to and then developing an eye and see, being able to see minute little things in the body so that you can actually do the assessment so this is one of my my like i said i i, I work with a lot of these you know, high-end rehab folks that develop a lot of this material. But my frustration sometimes is, you know, it's like, oh well, we need to analyze, you know, squat mechanics and shoulder mobility. So we got to do an overhead press, and we got to check the glute firing. So we got to do a uh, or an overhead squat. Well, we got to check glute firing. So we've got to do a single leg uh, glute bridge. You know, seven different tests will run through to figure it out. And I'm like, well, they were just squatting, and I saw it all. <laughs> And I can fix it right now because I know how to cue it. So we never have to actually move backwards, which is really, really, really powerful. I mean, it sounds – it is incredibly simple. It sounds simple. But you you think about – if you go into the gym, you're going there for a reason, right? To get stronger or lose weight. And you don't want to spend a, a month or two doing bodyweight movements to getting things moving right before you can actually start working your plan. Right. <laughs> so – so that's uh, – I guess that's the fundamentals behind, you know, the Kabuki movement systems. We do do some of the remedial work with the uh, the KMS. You've been on the website, uh, Brett, so you've seen a lot of that. Um, but it's more of like homework or reinforcing postural cues or, like I said, you know, that, the homework piece for sending somebody – Let's fix it in the squat, but here's some things that you can do on the side to continue to re-ingrain those patterns. So that's the that's the fundamentals of the the KMS. It's always move forward, man. Always yeah. move forward.
1: I love that. So this not only like focusing about or getting really specific about body movement or body mechanics isn't just going to prevent injuries. It's also going to help you. I mean, is this going to make you have a stronger lift as well?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so. You know, we, it's not uncommon for me to see somebody that hasn't implemented these principles before to implement and in their first workout hit like a 10% PR. We're talking going from like a 400 pound squat to a 440 pound squat. That's huge.
1: That's a big jump. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because what, what we're doing, and I don't know if I covered in this in the last, uh, the last interview sequence, but, um, the body has some protective measures. So if you're at basically risk for injury. So if you've got a either two things, either a destabilized joint or a non, um, or, or, or the core isn't engaged properly, what we call uh, core, but a proper intra-abdominal pressure isn't created. If you don't have either of those things, the body detunes. It detunes itself so that you reduce your risk for injury. So if you turn off those systems all of a sudden, basically it means your you're you're not training to the maximal effect. If you if you could have been squatting four hundred and forty and you were working with four hundred, you you weren't taking advantage of the full full effect. So think compile that over five years and think what that's gonna to do to your training if you're actually using heavier training loads. It's the same principle. This is why uh, like the training on the BOSU ball stuff is uh, non-effective. As soon as you get on a BOSU ball, the body deregulates, so it doesn't matter. Everybody thinks they're working their core and balance, stability, all that stuff, but they're using 10 bound dumbbells and getting no training effect from it. So um, you actually need stability yeah. first, primary, um, if you wanna maximize uh, your output.
1: And I I imagine this, it's got to be, it's a big mind shift, I think, for a lot of strength training athletes to be mindful of their body in this way, right? Like being aware of like what your pelvis is doing. Or what your back is. I mean, that's like I've I've done that, and it's really hard uh, to wrap your mind around, like to get that kinetic mind connection going on.
2: It it, it is, but that's that's part of two of the KMS principles. Because if you go online, you'll find like here's the hundred things you're supposed to focus on on the squat. (laughs) <laughs> and you can't do that how yeah. the heck am i supposed to do that i
1: got 400 pounds so, on my
2: back right so, now so i i try to never have more than five cues so five things that you can repeat through your head over and over and go though so it's 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 trying to refine it down to the and the it, it's really hard to develop a squat with five cues it took me a long time and they're very simple and once you go through, why did it take you so long to figure that out but it's like what set and how do you cue it and how do you get that in such a way that that one cue covers twenty things, gotcha. um, so so we try to refine that down to as little things as possible. And then, as you practice at the gym, you know, when it comes to performance time, you don't have to think through all that stuff. But what we found, you know, your high-level athletes, they all do a lot of these things. I mean, they're high-level athletes, right? That for a reason, they all do these things naturally because they're athletic. But if we bring focused conscious awareness to them. They always get better. It Gosh. doesn't matter at what level, which is pretty crazy.
1: Right. So. That's awesome. And then also, just like even non-high, uh, high competitive athletes, like they'll get better too with these cues, right?
2: Uh, oh, absolutely. This is so. This is someone that's really not like a high athletic nature. This is the actually the biggest payoff because I get people all the time like, "Well, I'm just getting into lifting. Is it really ready for? Is it really for me?" I'm like. Well, hell yeah, you don't want to do it wrong for ten years before you and then compile injuries. But if you're not a natural athlete, you know, one of those gifted people, a lot of these things don't come naturally. And so you end up with this, oh my my knee hurts, and then my ankle and now my elbow, oh my shoulder, and you end up with this, you know, you train for six months and then you take a few you know, if you and it just you constantly have these aches and pains and all this stuff. Um so if you teach these core operating principles, all of a sudden, all these things come into place and you've got, you're just focused on training and moving better. And, and, and a lot of people think like heavy training or strength training is going to be negative for life. You know, it's going to decrease your mobility, reduce you know, increase your injuries. You know, it's, it, it's, it, it takes from life, but if you learn it in the KMS principles approach, these things actually make you function better in life.
1: Right. That's awesome.
2: You're not gonna you're not gonna bend over one day to pick up the kid and go, oh, there went my back, crap. Um, you know this is this is this actually helps you function better in life.
1: I love that. So and it's that, all it's all about making like being more efficient with your body. It sounds like.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, what we're doing, if we get back to where I'm stealing from, is developmental kinesiology. Is there's natural patterns and a progression that we that we all learn. Okay and it's, it's how the body functions. And so if you watch any baby through their developmental strategy at every age, you'll see the same things happen as they move from basically being able to be on their back to rolling to a side, to, to now being able to reach, now getting over into the crawl position, then getting into the stand position and walking. That's all ingrained and that's, um, it, it. we're born with that and unfortunately, and this is why KMS for is for everyone, everyone. Our society today fucks that up. <laughs> That's just the straight of it. I'm sitting in this chair right now. We, we, we break down the squat and we learn how to sit, you know. Um, we sit with our high technology devices, you know. We're working on our computers, doing our texting, uh, where our shoulders are pulled forward. We've got heightened stress levels um, that, you know, change our breathing patterns. And this is a big one. So it doesn't matter, you know, sitting in traffic, you know, the, the the boss yelling at you, the even even like all this technology raises and changes. There's tons of studies that do that changes your breathing patterns. As soon as the breathing patterns get broken, this is where a lot of this stuff starts going wrong, because if you look, it sounds it sounds oh it's just breathing it's breathing, you know, trying to explain that to a layman and the importance of it is really hard. A lot of your athletes really get it. But the breathing is so fundamental because you look at a look at a skeleton, okay? And look at the mass of the structure in there. And you'll see like all this componentry around the shoulders, the hips, all this massive stuff. And then you'll see right in the middle, there's a big gap. There's a big gap. There's nothing. Just a few little spinal segments running between. And that is where all the breathing comes from but think about it all your force transfer goes through that area anytime you're throwing running picking your your you know your feet are grounded to the floor and you're transferring power through an extremity such as the arm or through the shoulder all of that is connected through this area and so the breathing doesn't do that but if the breathing patterns break the methodology for how that structure creates rigidity and transfers power starts working improperly.
1: Well, let's talk about that because that's, uh, you know, whenever people start uh, lifting, uh, they, they probably read somewhere online or in a book. Like there's a certain way you're supposed to breathe, right? And like the most common one I've heard is like, you know, before you uh, you – like you inhale on the way down and then you exhale on the way out. That's like the most common thing. Is that true, or is there like how do you – how should we breathe for optimal lifting so we can have that force tra- that efficient force transfer?
2: It it depend it depends. Okay. So there is no fixed hour answer because during force transfer the breathing actually isn't important. Okay. So the breathing is the breathing is only important because if you have dysfunctional breathing patterns, the bracing won't work, and the bracing is how we create that rigidity for, for force transfer. They both operate with the same mechanism. So there's a reason they break down. They both use the diaphragm.
1: Okay.
2: So, so if, if you've got dysfunctional diaphragm, you know, diaphragm for breathing, it's not going to be working properly and integrated properly for the bracing function. So let's talk about breathing during lifting. Cause this is, like I said, a lot of people will think, you know if you when i say bracing they're like oh yeah you got to pressurize and you think about filling up this belly with just full of air it's not about a big belly full of air we'll get to that in a minute but the breathing depends on the threshold of the lift so if i'm doing a maximal effort lift or a single or a double i'm probably not breathing at all i brace and i hold the entire time but if i'm doing 20 reps i got to keep my air going right or i'm going to pass out So, so I may be, and the lift isn't, isn't that heavy. So I may be able to breathe in on the way down instead of being fully braced Then, then be braced at the, the height of the peak activity in the hole, then come up and breathe out. Or I could breathe in and out between sets or between reps. So there's a lot of different ways there. Um, So it really isn't that important. Just understanding it's a, it has to match the threshold of the movement that you're doing. So.
1: So wow. it sounds like breathing is what allows you to brace, right? Like it's part of the components that allows you to brace correctly for the the lift. And I guess can you explain what what do you, what you mean by bracing? Like what we're what we're trying to accomplish when we brace yeah. ourselves for a lift?
2: So let's be clear. Breathing and bracing are two different things. Okay. Two different things. You can do them independently and you can do them together gotcha um but they're both using the diaphragm function so first i usually teach people to brace with with uh with use without breathing because it's that's only using one function of the diaphragm at a time as you get more advanced you can brace and breathe um so this is more advanced gotcha but what uh, what bracing is this is this is how you create rigidity this is how you create power this is how you turn off those um that down regulation of the body. The diaphragm is a cone shaped muscle that attaches basically at the base of the base of the rib cage. So as you breathe in, it drives down. So it's this large cone and it drives down. So you can imagine a, if you imagine a piston, that's really what it is. There's a piston right there and the top of that piston is driving down. It's basically attached to right where the sternum is. So, so as you drive down, just like a piston, it creates pressure, and that pressure needs to be working in opposition. So you, ha- you have to have the pelvis rotated exactly so that the pelvic floor is directly below it in opposition because it's if, – if you've got a piston and you bend it, all that, all the pressure is going to shoot out the side. Right. So same thing if you arch up you're going to, you know, the pressure isn't going to be going down. It's going to be going out towards the front of your belly and you don't want that. So, so you need to, you have to have the pelvis clocked directly up and down and not have the chest flared and be able to drive that down. So, um, we teach some strategies for doing that. So that's, that's how you create the pressure with the diaphragm. Then the second is like I said, it's it's uh, not a belly full of air. So there's air in there that you're compressing when you do that. But it's creating that against the outer sheath of the abdominal wall. So now you've got to make that abdominal wall rigid. So imagine getting punched, okay. getting punched in the belly. We call it Okinawan strength technique because uh, you will find me if you're in my gym and you're not doing it properly and you're squatting or deadlifting, you may randomly get punched by me. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> It's a known fact. <laughs> Um, um, so we we think about you know somebody's having some trouble there but also you know reach down and put your thumbs right in your obliques right in the love handles right there and inflate them blow them up like they're balloons boom okay And you feel that and a lot of people will do that with their breathing start practicing so that you can do it independently of your breathing so just push them out and then now hold them while you can breathe in and out so now you're using the two different functions there so when we brace, we think about two cues. We think about drawing down at the diaphragm or imagining that piston drawing down connected to that point and then pushing out with the obliques and into the lower abdomen, like you're pushing the lower abdomen into the legs. And that'll create that rigidity of that outer sheath wall and engage the, uh, the obliques as well. So that is a braced core. Right. Now,
1: and you basically you what you're don't... doing is you're, you're turning your, your core into like a steel rod. Right? Is that what
2: exactly? Okay. Exactly. You want to think about it. Is your your whole upper torso is like being a culvert or a telephone pole stacked on top of your hips. So once you do this, it can't really bend anymore. Everybody with back problems. I got to build up my erectors. I got to build up my erectors. Well, your erectors, you know, flex and extend the back, but they actually don't create. This is what creates the stability under load. When this when this breaks, that's when you hurt yourself. So. So once you've got that locked in, you can bend forward, you can bend back, but it never, you never, just like a telephone pole, it's not going to bend if it's stacked on top of your hips. If you try to move it, it'll snap. So um, the other is, so we take it a step further. A lot of people don't realize the lats are also a spinal stabilizer, and this is how we get the shoulders. So if we're doing anything, let's say pressing, squatting, anything where the power transfers through the core, we want to engage the lats as well and basically imagine, uh, we call it scapular um, depression, where you're pulling the shoulders down, pulling them away from the ears. Um, but basically, engage the lats, boom, rigid. Think about doing a lat pull down if you're under a squat bar, and then that will get the the shoulders plugged directly into that mechanism as well. And now you've got this extreme rigidity. And it sounds like a lot of work, and it is, Right. Uh, if you do it. So if you, like I said, if you're doing a set of twenty squats, you're not going to do it that aggressively because you're going to wear out.
1: <laughs> right. Right. But if you're doing you want, one really heavy and, squat,
2: but if, if, so as you advance, you're going to do it more and more and more. So by the time you, if you're working on a max effort, this setup should actually almost be harder than the lift. If you do it correctly, it is, you'll just go down and just pop up and like, wow, I just squatted. That was cool. Yeah. Um, so so that's how we that's how we engage those mechanisms.
1: Right. So here, Chris, makes, I'm trying, I'm trying to visualize this and seeing how this uh, this having a rigid thing will, will lead to a stronger lift. I'm I'm imagining like when we don't do these bracing principles, we're basically like our it's like our our core is more like a chain, like a loose chain, right?
2: It's a it's it's a spo- it's a sponge.
1: It's a sponge, and right? And you're trying and to you're like trying, if you imagine yeah, lifting you're, heavy you're, with a sponge, you're not going to do it.
2: And you're connected. I mean, almost all of our power derives from, you know, the feet on the floor and then driving it through. Like I said, think about most sports. You're throwing something, catching something, doing something with the arms. But all that power has to be transferred from the feet through that big empty space in the spine. And you don't want to transfer power through a sponge.
1: Right. You want a telephone it's <laughs> not pole. an
2: efficient power transfer source. Right. And then it also increases risk of injury. But now think about the hips are connected to that. The shoulders are connected to that. So those are our big prime movers. If we have dysfunction or a long braced core, that's where things start going wrong downstream of that. Maybe a glute isn't firing or this adductor is tight, like all these things. And now, oh, it changes the leg position. Oh, now we just blew out our knee. And we go to the doctor and they focus on knee surgery or doing this knee stuff. And then now you take six months off, but you never actually fixed what was wrong, what drove it. Right. Um, We also see a lot of cross-functional patterns across the body. You've got uh, maybe left pyroformis issue and right shoulder issue. You know, um, we see those type of patterns as well. Um, but a lot of these, you've got to chase up the chain. And this is where, where my string of injuries that seemed unrelated now all made sense. (laughs) It's like, Oh, now I've got, you know, I've got this cross body string of elbow, shoulder, you know, hip, you know, so on, uh, and start fixing that stuff. And all of a sudden all those things just disappear and they go away. I mean it's crazy cuz we'll put these principles in place with somebody that's like I haven't been able to squat for 6 months because of knee problem, back problem, whatever. We're like let's work through this stuff. Boom. All of a sudden they're like wow, I'm squatting. I'm moving good weight and I'm just the pain is just gone because right. we're shutting those systems down. And that's really freaking amazing. And 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 think about it. I mean even we, we talk about, let's say, that elderly population or something that we're saying, the remedial, you know, the clinicians that I work with. So, so I speak on this stuff a lot of times um, to colleges. Uh, some of my materials in PhD-level courses, that's usually when I'm speaking at colleges as to uh, uh, DC students and DB, uh, uh, physical therapy students. Uh, a lot of these people attend my seminars and stuff too. So, um, but the people, the clinicians that I work with, If they get somebody with a back problem in their clinic, it doesn't matter who, it could be a 60-year-old woman. You know what? One of the first things they usually do now. What's that? Teach them to deadlift. Wow. Session
1: one. I guess the the common knowledge would be like, no, don't do that.
2: They they come in, they can't even bend over to tie tie their shoe. They're just in extreme pain. We'll work through these methods, bring the pain down, and teach them how to deadlift a 35-pound kettlebell off the floor. And you know what? Oftentimes you'll have somebody in tears, not from pain but from joy because they couldn't pick up their grandkid or their kid or, you know, this, you know, some other life thing. Um, and that's where like I said I'm – you can tell in this conversation, Brett, I'm I'm really passionate about this stuff. Yeah. Because it, it truly is fixing – something that is wrong with people in the world today. And so many people have lost connection with the fact that we are physical beings and you need to be physically active to be to be both um, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually a well person. So it's not just physical health, it affects all those. And the people that figure that out and you take that away from them, it, it messes with them.
1: Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Right. sounds like this stuff's really important uh, for a lifter as they get older. Like even me, like I'm 33 and already like I'm like, I realize... I can't do the same thing that I did when I was 20 or 18.
2: Yep. You're right on the cusp now of that. Uh, this is right about the time I started figuring all that, uh, heading down this path myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I see this all the time. You know, I, I, own a gym. I work with athletes all the time. And, uh, you know, guys in the early twenties, you know, it's, it's hard to teach them some of this stuff because nothing hurts then. Right. When you're that age, nothing hurts. <laughs> Why is this stuff important, man? Why do I want to listen to this old guy? Um, uh, And, uh, as you get older, all of a sudden it's like some of this stuff will start coming into play, start picking up because, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't recover the same. So you can get away with a lot when you're younger. Um, although we do have a lot of younger athletes that push it too far and we end up having to rehab their backs and doing stuff like that because, because of that. But, uh, but yes, as you age, the value of this just gets more and more important. So right. That's awesome. um, I, I coach a lot of masters lifters, a lot of 60, 70 plus lifters. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an incredibly powerful tool. Cause it's, uh, yeah. I mean, most people that have been through the trauma that I've been through in my, because I was, I was that young guy that didn't listen to anybody because I was stronger than everybody. right? And I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent guy. Um, so, Usually I felt, you know, I was, you know, felt I was, you know, the the smartest guy in the room type thing, you know, all that ego, you know, there. So I didn't I didn't listen. Why would I listen? I'm stronger. I'm smarter, you know, whatever. And uh, so I ended up with I've had tons of major surgeries, all sorts of trauma. Most people that are in my situation would have been done years ago. They wouldn't be able to train, but I'm still able to train and uh, and, you know, at a high level.
1: That's awesome. Well, going back to so, bracing a little bit, um, I mean, is this why you wear, why people wear belts when they lift weights? Is that, is that sort of like a cue for bracing?
2: Um, yes, it certainly can be. So it definitely improves it if you use it correctly. Some people don't use the belt correctly. Um, I like to train with and without, so that we can practice that. We've got uh, on the KMS website, we've got tons of different drills to teach. Um, some of this postural stuff that you know, because if you're listening to this, you're going, "What is he talking about?" About pelvis, you know, uh, pelvis orientation right. <laughs> and drawing down at the sternum. Like none of this stuff. This is why my my website is like all video content because um, <laughs> it is incredibly hard to grasp without actually seeing it demonstrated. Right. Um, but the so the the belt. So we try to practice this with and without the belt because you can get better without. Um, but the belt is a good cue because when you're, when you're driving that piston down, we talked about that, that piston again, and it's creating that pressure. What does pressure do? Pressure goes all directions, right? So it's 360 degrees all the way around. You're even pushing out in the back in the low back as well. Well, guess what the belt does? The belt surrounds that area 360 degrees and so it's a great cue for people to push out and against and it will improve the bracing when done that way now some people think that that the belt is the is the is the is brace the, is the device and they crank it on so tight that they're actually sucked in and if you're sucked in now you can't actually brace effectively.
1: Right. Or they um, think or they think it's like a it's a brace for their lower back like you know like this thing. Ex-
2: exactly. That's a big like well most of the belts out there you go into a gym and they've got this little tiny band in the front. Right. And then the big piece in the back because they think it's a brace for the back and so the most important piece is actually missing cuz most of the pressure is coming through the through the front where you've got most of the flexible tissue at
1: that's so, interesting
2: well, cool and then you go to home depot and you see these you know the same thing these
1: right so the the <laughs>
2: suspender things that they wear right yep yep exactly
1: right so then those guys at home depot need to learn how to brace yeah. They, they well,
2: actually it's, I think it's pretty well proven at this point that, you know, wearing those devices during the work hour actually increases your risk of injury because, you know,
1: <laughs> and they keep doing it. Right. It's like,
2: cause they're going to, now they're going to go home and do something and they're not used, you know, they haven't been practicing, you know, what they right. need to do. They've been relying on that. And, uh, but I guess that doesn't increase the risk for insurance for the you know, the company because it's not an <laughs> on the job injury. That's anymore, right, right. That's right.
1: Not my problem. <laughs> not my problem. Um, so we've talked about breathing. We talked about bracing. Another concept you talk or an element of the uh, Kabuki movement system is this thing you call rooting. Uh, yes. Can you explain that? Cause like, it's, it's a term I never really saw. I've seen in the, I haven't seen that in like other strength training literature.
2: Yeah. So um, we've been focused on rooting for about five years or so. And uh, you're, you'll start seeing, you start seeing other strength coaches talking about it now. Um, but it's basically, you know, if you reach out and grab something with your hand, there's a lot of engagement and stuff that happens. Um, the same thing with our feet. Unfortunately, we lose a lot of connection with our feet cause we're walking around in shoes all day today. But, um, how you actually apply and grab with the, with the, with the foot to the ground actually turns on a lot of things that need. And, uh, so our basic rooting strategy and the one I have posted publicly is our tri point strategy. And this is the stuff that you, you'll probably start hearing other strength coaches talking about. And I'll talk about the more advanced stuff that we're doing now that's on the KMS site. Um, but you imagine like uh, three points of contact, one below the big toe uh, one below, basically not at the big, uh, the base of the big toe where it's connected to the foot, same thing from the pinky toe and then the under the heel. And if you stand and you, you, Imagine grabbing the ground with those three points like their eagle talons and twisting it up. You'll feel your glutes fire up.
1: So I'm doing maybe, it. I'm like, doing it right I, now, and I'm I'm feeling that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, now our advanced technique goes way beyond that because that's really hard to focus on. How do I do that while I squat or while I deadlift? And it kind of falls apart a little bit. Um, so we've got a methodology. Um, stolen from a bunch of different areas. I think it was actually originally, uh, out of ballet,
1: <laughs>
2: but, uh, like I said, you know, that's,
1: uh, <laughs> if it works, it works, man. You gotta, you gotta I, use steal it. All,
2: I steal all over. We've, we've had it in place, uh, probably for about nine months or a year. We've been using it here, uh, and using it, uh, it is incredibly effective and it takes it to a whole nother level. um, and uh, I can't really describe it via verbiage, right. but uh, you can sign up on the KMS website. And when you do it, you'll just feel everything in your hips and legs just fire up and achieve perfect control of the, the leg position. I've got an athlete in the the UK right now. He, just, he was just over here, and uh, uh, he's... Constantly has these issues on the on the right side. He's got knee problems. He's got adductor problems. He's got all this, and uh, immediately just watching the feet within a few minutes is able to diagnose, work through, and as soon as we did, he's like, "Oh my God, I have perfect control of everything. That feels so different. Like it's it's an incredible, incredible tool." But this is our connection to the to to the ground. I mean, think about like football, soccer, all these things. This is where we're developing power from. Is that connection, and everything upstream through the hip turns on and off based on how the foot is operating. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, it's an incredibly important piece. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's really, and, and, and I commend you Brett for capturing that on the, the KMS website because you haven't been on there that long, but the, between the bracing and the rooting, and we do some same things, similar with the hands, uh, with grip, where we can turn the lats on and off with things that we're doing with the fingers, um, but pretty, pretty similar concepts. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where you're where you're grounded and connected to a, a, the power from,
1: right? I mean, so place. it sounds like the rooting is like it's how you take that telephone pole you've created, embracing and like plant it into the ground, right? So it's not yeah. wobbly, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, even just just like being aware of that and thinking about, like, I want to get my feet like dug into the ground uh it makes if you like you're right it puts things into 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 place naturally and like you feel like you have a stronger lift it's not as wobbly uh when you're going down or up um and it just feels a lot stronger yep um just just like thinking about it. i mean it's, that's the thing that blows my mind it's just like <laughs> thinking okay i'm gonna root my feet in the ground and like it just stuff magically happens it's really bizarre
2: yeah. And you want to kind of like think of the the front of your foot, like think about as a hand, like spreading out wide. So that's why I like, I like a, a shoe, uh, that's got a wide toe box in the front. So you can really spread that out and really kind of grab the ground with it. And just think about that. Same thing, you know, s- similar thing. Uh, anytime we're under load, we definitely never want to have, if we think about the, the BOSU ball or lack of stability, we never want to have, um, you know, uh, a, you know, basically a cross trainer or something that's a, a running shoe, something that's actually built to absorb shock. You want something that's pretty solid.
1: Right. So, like um, a flat yeah. shoe or like a weightlifting shoe or something like that.
2: Yeah. It, you know, a, a boot, a converse. Uh, there's a lot of different shoes out there now that are just a solid, solid sole. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. And, uh,
1: well, hey, Chris, I mean, I'm curious if you could maybe like, like – can you take us through maybe a few cues like for – like you're setting up for a squat. Um, like what would be just some like basic cues that a guy should go through um, before he starts lifting so he's set up in the most optimal position?
2: Okay. So the the cues that I would go through and this would be uh, – um, you've got – you've already walked up. You've got the bar on your back, Okay. And you're ready to squat, all right? So cue number one is going to be draw down at the sternum, okay? Then inflate the obliques, okay? Now we're going to take the bar like a lat pull down, and we're going to bend it over our back. Now, you've got to be very aware of not losing that chest position when you do it, because the lats are going to try to pull your chest forward if you're engaging them hard. So you need to fight that, so you need to hold the... That's why we get the brace first before we engage the lats. Okay. And then from there, you can think about twisting the floor up. Um, The more advanced cue, I can't really go through in verbiage. You got to see it. Uh, But uh, you twist the floor up. You want to turn the glutes on. You basically want to imagine you're in this standing finished position. So it's, uh, you can think about standing tall where you're driving your heels through the ground. You've got your quads flexed, your glutes flexed. You're twisting that floor up, okay? And now you're just going to sit back between your legs. Yep. And that's it. That's it. So there's usually a whole lot of other cues that people have from there. But if you take care of all those basic fundamental things, this will make a beautiful-looking squat. Awesome. So cue one, um, we're going to draw down, draw down at the sternum. We're going to inflate, inflate the obliques. We're going to bend the bar over our back, number three, okay? We're going to twist the floor up, number four. Number five, we're just going to sit back between our legs.
1: Okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yep. So, yeah. That, and I, I've tried this, and it it, it helps. Like, it's amazing yep. just, like, following those cues through your mind. It can really help out a lot. Um, well, here's what I thought was interesting, too. You have some counterintuitive things in there. So, for example, that I saw was um, in your squatting uh, curriculum or your squatting uh, schema, you have uh, is working on shoulder mobility, right? Scapular exercises for the squat, and I think a lot of people will say, like, what? what it squats and it's a leg, it's a leg exercise. Why do I need to ha- be mobile in my shoulders to have a good squat? So, how are, how is scapular full, you know, flexibility going to translate to a better squat?
2: Good, good question. Um, so, <laughs> it's all about achieving the best uh, posture and position possible. So, before I squat, I'm definitely not gonna do like mobility work on the hips or hamstrings or quads or anything that's actually moving. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow myself to get in better position. If my shoulders are tight and I'm trying to get under that bar, what's gonna happen is it's gonna make my chest flare up. Then I'm gonna lose my bracing. Okay. So it's all about what's allowing me to get in the best position, or I may have my elbows behind me. So if my elbows are winging, as we call it, they're they're sticking out behind me and driving forward, uh, I'm not going to be able to draw down on that bar and engage the lats. So the mobility work is all about allowing us to get in position to maximize the cueing strategy for the performance of the lift. So, yeah, shoulder mobility work before squatting is, is uh, tremendous in being able to do that unless you're, you know, if you're a hypermobile person, then you probably don't have a whole lot to worry about there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the concept there is basically allowing us to be able to get into those positions so that we can maximize the performance.
1: And I imagine that's that the shoulder mobility for squat is an issue for a lot of men who work at a computer all day and they're hunched over like that's a problem for me like so for example i like every morning like before i even get under the bar like i know you have the the i, I use like the hindu clubs you know spear mace thing Yep. and like you know swing that around i know you have a, a device that that you've built i forgot the shoulder rock
2: the shoulder rock you yeah. need to, if you're using the how long's your indian club by the way
1: it's pretty long i mean it's like i don't know like four feet or three feet long
2: Okay. If it's three feet, you get back to me. I'm going to get you a shoulder rock. Almost everyone on the market is designed incorrectly. Okay. It needs to be close to four feet because the weight needs to swing right directly behind your, uh, behind your knee. Almost everyone that I've ever seen is designed incorrectly based on the classical use of it. And actually it's well, clinical use now, um, since we're we're talking about the shoulder rock. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, sorry to get off on.
1: No, no, yeah, that. that's awesome because like it, it I mean, it's just because I have a problem if I don't do that, like getting under the bar, like it hurts, like because like my shoulder, because I'm I'm hunched over all day, and so like it's just like now my, Thanks. and it affects not only my shoulder mobility, but like my chest is like super inflexible as well, and so I have to open all that up before I can even get under the bar.
2: Exactly. And so if you don't do that, then you lose like all that bracing position. And now next thing you know, you're squatting and you don't have that core and all of a sudden you're, you bend over. Now you're lifting with uh, loaded flexion boom, you blow a disc. Um, you know, that's just, that's just the train of things that that can happen when we don't do that. So, um, and let alone, let's take out the injury risk. You're just not going to be able to lift as much because you're not able to engage that stuff the way that you want to. I always have to to remember some people just go, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to hurt myself. So I always have to sell on the, uh, you know, you're going to lift more.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then yes, I will do that. Um, so yeah, I mean a lot. So a lot of this stuff is about improving lifts, but then you also have these um, uh, exercises, like little small mobility drills, uh, that can help different lifts. Um, I'm curious that it's for like rehab, prehab type things. Um, so when should someone do this stuff? Right, we're talking. I mean, I, you have like the shoulder rock and doing some like shoulder mo- sh- shoulder mobility. You have some drills on there too. Um, you do this before you work before your training session. Do you do them on rest days? Like when should you incorporate this sort of mobility work?
2: So one of the things, um, one of the things that, uh, I really want to clarify is the difference between stability work and mobility work. Okay. So, um, a lot of people don't understand cause they think, Oh, if you strength train, you got to ha- balance it and do your mobility work. So anytime you have a joint that's getting tight, Understand that there is something wrong with your movement some your body is creating a protective measure and Tightening up that joint to reduce your risk of injury. So if you have to do mobility work, you are doing triage work You need to figure out what is wrong with the movement and what is driving that to happen so so actually, most of the work I've got a few mobility drills, but I try not to focus on mo- mobility work on the KMS website because there's so much content out there on mobility work. It's really you hot look right it up now. In Google, Super you hot. Could, you can uh, get on Kelly Starrett's site. You can do. There's tons of stuff on mobility work out there. So a lot of our stuff is really about bringing postural awareness firing patterns and stability. So this is something that everybody doesn't discuss in the mobility world. You have to have the joint stabilized before you start working mobility. So um, that said, uh, we try not to overdo it. So we never want anybody doing about more than 10 or 15 minutes worth of prep work. And that prep work should actually speed up your workout. So um, if we're doing mobility work, If you've got to do the triage work, um, like I said, and it's not, like I said, we may do shoulder mobility work, so a a quick few drills before squatting. But if your hips, you know, are having issues and you're working on hip mobility for your squatting, you would do that maybe the day before or at the end of the other workout. So you do it on off days. Um, So what we do is we try to have about 10 minutes work of basically primer work before the um before the main lift so if we take squatting for example we'll do basically fire movement drills that are working on increasing stability in the firing pattern so we may do things like uh some rear leg elevated split squats some goblet squat things of that nature with really focused on the the cueing and awareness before squatting should take less than 10 minutes and should actually speed your workup out workout up by 10 minutes. So net effect should be nothing. Then on an off day, if we're working on core stability, we may have 15 or 20 minutes dedicated to doing some other drills that are bringing either actually working on core stability. So we've got a whole like dead bug sequence, um, um, or you may be doing some postural awareness. So we've got um some movements in there so usually you've got three or four movements that you may be doing on an off day that are trying to reinforce that sort of stuff so we would do basically 10 minutes worth of firing work to prep you for a movement on the training day and three or four movements on an off day uh, that are focused on things that you need to develop or postural awareness um, and that's 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 pretty much it. Uh, an advanced athlete that's got really clean movement may only have a couple items. So it's it's a little bit variable. But uh, we try not to exceed 10 minutes and uh, 15, 20 minutes on off days.
1: Awesome. So not a lot of time. That's great. I think a lot of people, yeah. they, they approach this like, I had to spend an hour a day on my mobility.
2: And, and that's a big frustration for me because it's – and that's – uh, because I see this all the time, especially with the people, the crowd that's really focused on mobility, where they'll come in and do mobility work for 45 minutes and then have 30 minutes to train. And it's like, you're, you're totally missing the point. Right. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to do the training part too.
1: <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, even like if I do it on off day and it's like, yeah, here's this 45 minute routine. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have time yeah. for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, Hey, Chris, this has been a, a great conversation. Where can folks learn more about the uh, Kabuki movement system?
2: Um, there's, a, uh, there's a link on our store, which is kabukistrength.com, B-U-K-I strength.com. Um, there'll also be uh, pretty shortly, we'll have a new website up there that will have uh, tons of uh, contributors, uh, a lot of clinical evidence-based uh, material that's going to be going on there. We've got some pretty amazing uh, contributors lined up for our site. Right now, it's just a store, but there'll be a link to the movement site. The movement site itself is www. .kabuki.ms so that's k a b u k i .ms for movement systems and i have a special offer for all your listeners sweet so, i love it um, i've got 50% off the initiation uh, for every for your listeners if they use the code art-manliness
1: Awesome. We'll we'll throw that up on the the site as well, um, and uh, I'll repeat it in my outro. All right. Cool. Excellent. Well, hey Chris Duffin, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure.
2: It has. Thanks for having me on again, Brett. I'm really glad that uh, you've enjoyed the site, and uh, take a look at your uh, your club and get back to me. I want to hear uh, hear about it because okay, I, if not, I'd like to introduce you to the Shoulder Rock. I would. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thanks so much.
1: My guest today was Chris Duffin. You can find out more information about his Kabuki Movement Systems at Kabuki.MS. That's K-A-B-U-K-I.MS. And you can file follow, follow his training at KabukiWarrior.com. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for this podcast at AOM.IS/Duffin. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and have gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you go to iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. That helps us out, gets the word out about the podcast. Also tell your friends about us. I'd really appreciate that. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.